everyone. Thank you for joining us again. My name is Jordi Miller and welcome to Between the Head and the Heart, a podcast run by Lexington Wealth Management. And today we're in part two of what we have started a couple of weeks ago with exploring a little more in detail ESG and SRI investing. And this is sustainable, responsible investing, more impactful investing. And today we have with us once again, Jennifer Sulo. Jennifer is the managing director a managing director at Rokuton Investment Advisors and had, has definitely taken a focus in the last few years uh, on SRI and ESG research. How are you doing today, Jen? Hi, Jordi. I'm great. How are you? Good. Um, today, I wanted to actually maybe cover one specific topic, which is the myths that go around this whole ESG and SRI uh, investing. Um, we hear a lot of stuff, not just in the market, but coming from friends of the firm, um, centers of influence around our clients, sometimes even our clients that are just plain not truth when it comes to sustainable, responsible investing. And we thought we would just tackle all of them at once so so we can uh, kind of like put the, set, the record straight. <laughs> uh, what do you think? Sounds good to me. Okay. The first one I wanted to start with is a lot of people talk about your value set and your investments cannot be commingled. They cannot be aligned 100%. I wanted to get your opinion on that particular comment. Okay. So I think that as it relates to ESG investing, data collection is improving, standards are evolving, and interest is undeniably growing. So can you combine value and investments? I believe that if you're passionate about and understand and have conviction in what you invest in, it helps you as an investor to stay the course. So meaning if you're invested in something that you believe in, it will help you to not sell at a low and not buy at a high. It'll keep you, you'll have conviction in your investment so that you're doing a better job of staying the course with that investment with its original thesis. I personally view ESG as another level of risk management. I think ESG is a great way to bring an additional level of information to the investment process and combine delivering product with positive impact. Hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, I actually never thought about it in that way. I always thought, no, there's definitely so many options about this. So you can definitely uh, invest in your values, but it also makes you realize that you do believe in what the companies are doing and you're not just performance chasing. So that's a, that's a exactly. great point that I, that I kind of didn't think about. Um, the other big uh, myth that we always hear when it comes to ESG is they do not perform as good as regular or traditional investments. And the world has changed on this. Um, I don't know if you could give us more detail. Sure. So studies on ESG and corporation are mixed. So you're right, Jordi. And that's why, you know, some folks will say, I, I think it's a huge hurdle. Performance is something that everyone's concerned about. It's the number one reason why most people invest. And so, um, like I said, studies are mixed. Most studies indicate that ESG investments tend to grow at a slow, but a steady rate and typically outperform their other investments. There's other studies that claim that ESG investments have a return that's similar to non-ESG investments, but do but basically get that return through a lower risk profile and lower volatility, which we'll talk about a little more. But regardless of if you view ESG returns um, are differentiated from non-ESG returns, I think most investors are in agreement that an ESG company is less likely to be impacted by a negative event um, relative to a company that doesn't consider ESG criteria. Hmm. So uh, there's one thing that I think I find fascinating when looking at ESG 
trends over the last couple of decades. And yes, you did just mention performance is probably the number one thing investors look for when investing. But impact is coming up the list now. <laughs> and that is a change, in I would say, in the last couple of decades. And I don't think it's reversing. I think it's just probably getting more and more to the top of that list. I think you're right. I think it's a, I don't even think it's a trend. I think it's a changing demographic, a changing set of values. And I think that people understand that they're not going to have a world or a, a planet to pass money on to their next generation if they don't start taking care of what we have today. And so I think that being able to invest um, and see positive financial returns at the same time as having um, an impact on the world is just a very valuable business proposition. Um, you did mention the change in demographics. And one of the myths that I wanted to cover today is that ESG or SRI are only something that mostly women and mostly millennials are interested. And I got to say, this is not true. I can see it in our client base right here at Lexington Wealth Management, but you probably have more bigger macro data on this. Sure. So I would submit that global demand for ESG is growing significantly. So um, in 2016, we had $8 trillion of assets under management represented sustainable investments. Today, that number has grown to over $12 trillion. And $12 trillion, excuse me. Yeah. And so from an institutional perspective, um, in 2008, over 50% of endowments and foundations reported incorporating ESG into decisions. And that's based off of Callan's annual ESG survey. In 2018, I've seen my personal corporate retirement clients ask about ESG as it relates to 401k and pension investments, but this is much more bleeding edge. So um, I think that incorporating them into corporate retirement today is, is discussions are happening. It's just implementation isn't quite there yet. Um, U.S. Trust actually recently released a survey of high net worth in investors that indicated that the majority of millennials um, the majority of Gen X and women believe that a company's track record in environmental, social, and governance, which ESNG, is an important consideration before investing. And so I think kind of at the highest level, the scale of sustainable investing differs significantly from region to region. So you've got um, really stepping back, you've got European asset managers who have the highest proportion of sustainable investments. But in recent years, some of the world's largest investors have also been expanding their efforts. So I think the U.S. is a little behind, but you've got, you know, Japan, which is the largest pension in the world, has been doing some really interesting things in sustainable investing. And so I think it varies really significantly by region. And I think that the U.S. is, is playing catch up right now. Okay, that's an important point, because I think what's happening, too, is just the regular folks that are not in the Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, or uh, on, on the women demographics that you pointed out, are realizing that better companies are just following these standards. And it's just part of becoming a better company, which by default will probably give you better results long term. Um, the other thing I wanted to cover today, uh, or th the next myth, is... Oh, there's not a lot of options to invest. <laughs> and we hear that, I would say, on a weekly basis uh, here at Lexington Wealth Management. There's just not as many options as regular standard invest investments to get into a sustainable, uh, responsible investment or ESG option. And I have to say, though, that is just not true. The universe of investments is changing. I, uh, I do not know the macroeconomic uh, data as you do, but I'm sure you would agree with that. 
completely agree. So I think over the past 20 years, the number of professionally managed investments that employ ESG techniques has increased across all asset classes. So public equities, which are stocks, fixed income like bonds and alternatives, um, even cash, really, there is a way to implement an ESG alternative relative to the non-ESG investment that perhaps is in the portfolio today um, across all asset classes. And there's been a significant proliferation of product in recent years. Um, I think some of that is because investors are demanding it. They want to invest in this type of investment. It feels good, particularly when um, we're sitting here looking at studies that are saying you're not going to be adversely affected from a performance perspective. Um, We believe that um, ESG is simply another level of information, and we view it largely as a risk mitigant. Um, But we've got... the punchline is we've got managers coming out with more products because investors are demanding it. And you've got managers coming out that actually are passionate about this and they want to invest in this type of thing as well. The, uh, now that we're in the specific topic of like options for investing on uh, SRI, it, the conversation of like all SRI is the same kind of always comes up. And there is a huge dis- distinction. Uh, forget about the actual vehicle, but just on the way appro- uh, they approach the construction of these vehicles. And I think it's worth talking about it. Um, there's the traditional way of, uh, not the traditional, but the most known, I would say, to majority of people, which is the avoid kind of strategy, which uh, I know we have mentioned in a different podcast. And then there's also the advanced kind of strategy, which is more the creating from scratch with a particular purpose. I don't know if you can expand on those two real fast. Sure. So um, you're right. Those are the two major categories we think about when you're thinking about ESG. And so avoid, as you mentioned, is is uh, really uh, limiting the investment universe. So you're taking the universe and you're cutting out things that you want to avoid. So if you're looking at the entire universe and you say, I don't want to invest in companies with tobacco, then you take those tobacco companies and you throw them out. We're not investing in those. Or you say, you know what? I don't want to invest in energy. Um, I think all energy or whatever your preferences are, you're basically taking the universe and you're slimming it down to what you want to invest in. Advance is the second category and advance is a little different than that. And it's really the the newer way of implementing ESG. Um, Advance takes into account environmental, social, and corporate governance without limiting the universe. And so you do this across all asset classes and you say, who is doing this the best? And so Um, importantly, it doesn't limit the way that you're investing in the way that avoid did. But so let me give you an example of advance. So Unilever recently revealed a third of consumers are now buying from brands based on their social and environmental impact, which is just really interesting. Unilever is a huge company. They did this huge survey with about 20,000 adults from five different countries regarding how their sustainability concerns impact their choice in stores and at homes. And they mapped the claims that people made in the survey against real purchase decisions. And so that they were actually able to identify that what people are buying is correlated with what they care about. And so as a result of this study, which I think is really interesting, not only did Unilever, but L'Oreal, Mars, Coca-Cola, and Nestle all committed to 100% recyclable packaging by 2025. And, you know, this is an effort to garner more market share, they're trying to go out there and say to consumers that we acknowledge what you care about and we're going to do something about it. And so buy our product because we're aligned with your values. I Hmm. think 
This ESG framework simply brings another level of information to the investment process. And so as an investor, you look at these companies and you say, relative to companies that are not doing this, if they've got the same performance expectations, why wouldn't I invest in a company that's doing a lot, you know, with plastic and recyclable packaging? Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. It's 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 becoming kind of like if you have it, why not? And that's like the easiest way to I would say convince people of impactful investing. Now, I do have to also say, um, along the lines of just not having enough vehicles to invest or as a myth, there's also the myth that you cannot do SRI or ESG in all your asset classes. And I think that has changed a lot in the last few years. Um, wouldn't you agree with me? I completely agree. So I think historically ESG has been thought about from an equity or a stock perspective, um, which I think is still largely true. There's the most options out there that are available are in the equity world. And so I think it's it's reasonable. It's it's logical to say sustainable research and analysis is applied in modeling and, and analysis for stocks um, and cash flow projections of companies when you take into account all these different factors. And so I think it's a little easier to incorporate into the equity landscape. I think it's a little more complicated in fixed income because it's more difficult to measure. And so um, to your point, Jordy, I think that the landscape for products has evolved significantly in more recent years. So you've got um, you know, green bonds, social impact bonds, you've got ESG mandates, which fully integrate um, these types of ESG concepts into fixed income portfolios. Um, and then from an alternatives perspective, I think that also has been around a long time. I think it's more siloed in its approach. And so, um, you know, you can find your, it's easy to find thematic focused alternatives such as, you know, um, green uh, investing um, alternatives to different types of energy or forestry and agriculture kind of water funds that look at different ways that water is water and waste are used um, I think it's easier to find thematic investing it's a little more difficult still in the alternative hmm. space to find that ESNG Corporation. And um, the one I wanted, to, I wanted to close this particular podcast of myths is um, the cost. A lot of people say, okay, if there's enough investment options, that's great, but it costs a lot of money to even just go and invest in this particular kind of vehicles. That has also changed. <laughs> uh, it's become, that has changed. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if you want to expand on that. Sure. So similar to investors demanding more products, investors are demanding that costs are reasonable. And I think, you know, there's more and more regulatory bodies focused on this as well, not just as it relates to ESG strategies, but as it relates to non-ESG strategies as well. But making sure that the cost is reasonable and justifiable. And so uh, when we look at ESG funds and we do due diligence on them, you know, we're largely looking at liquid funds such as mutual funds or ETFs. And so there is focus on it from a regulatory perspective. And what we're doing is we're not um, looking at this in a, in a siloed environment, ESG funds as their own island. We're comparing or here at Rokuton ESG investments relative to non-ESG investments. And so if it's expensive relative to a non-ESG investment, we're not going to recommend it. The strategy has to have fees that are comparable to a non-ESG investment. And so all of these different criteria, performance, the qualitative aspects, the quantitative aspects, operational comparisons, before we're rating or looking at a strategy that uh, we're working with Lexington on and inevitably potentially ends up in your portfolio, we're looking at fees as well and hmm. making sure that 
everything that we're saying we're looking at for non-ESG strategies, we're also evaluating in the same grain for ESG strategies. Yeah, that's one thing that I would like to point out to everybody listening. Like when when choosing an ESG investment, it's not like they get a pass on this or their metrics. It's 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 like an extra thing that they need to uh, satisfy. So cost, uh, liquidity, accessibility, um, uh, manager due diligence, uh, staff turnover, everything gets evaluated the same exact way as a regular investment. This is just more specifically to the SRI ESG standards. It's just like an added layer. So so definitely a little more strict due diligence that comes into these funds than uh, I would say the majority of funds. Um, so Jen, to close, I, um, I thought I would ask you from your own personal perspective, um, how would you tell people SRI is the way to go? <laughs> like, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot on this one, but it seems that this has evolved in the last few years and now it's becoming a real option for a lot of people to do a full portfolio with ESG SRI investing. So I think that's an interesting question. And while I can't give advice directly to each individual from a personal perspective, the way that I invest my own personal money is it's logical to me. I mean, it's logical to me that a system where all of these businesses and individual companies create negative externalities, uh, which negatively impact our communities is not logical. It's not sustainable. It's not a great business model. When I completely see millennials passionate about uh, the businesses that they pursue, and they're not just passionate about you know their new careers and making money, they're passionate about changing the world. When I see top talent in combination with an unsustainable business model, to me, long term it's a no-brainer it just for me investing personally it makes sense to invest in a a sustainable way yeah and i wanted to clarify as well like doesn't mean that here at lexington we're recommending to yeah everything should be sri in your portfolio it just means that if you are trying to do an sri portfolio or you're investigating or researching if you can make your own portfolio esg the answer is yes you should you should now pretty much have almost no limitation of asset classes, uh, performance metrics, uh, access, and even cost. So all those barriers to entry in this particular kind of investing, they have been almost eliminated in the last couple of years, I would say maybe five, six years. So now you can really have deep conversations with your advisors about this particular topic. And before I would say it was a little limited when it comes to access. I agree, Jordi. I think folks should feel empowered to implement ESG and not feel limited in their choice or implementation vehicle or cost. Today, I think that there's lots of products available to invest. And I think literally the way if you had asked me in one sentence how I think about it. I think about it as an additional level of information. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just throw that out there for you. It's literally just another level of information. I largely think of it as a risk mitigant. Awesome. Well, um, Jen, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. And I hope uh, people really find it uh, interesting and useful. Great. Thanks for having me, Jordi. (laughs) Thank you, Jen. Bye. Bye.